1: Roger back at you from the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and I'm so excited that you're here. You know, again, I love talking to really creative, inspiring, and passionate operators across the country, if not the world, and this week's guest is no exception. Her name, Lindsay Anderson, and she is the proprietor and sommelier at Uwe Wine Bar in Chicago. Her early inspiration started at age 16 as a cake decorator. She then transferred that experience into a passion for wine and how she became a sommelier is a wonderful story and what it takes to become a sommelier but not only that she started her wine bar her new concept in june of 2019 of course, none of us could have expected the COVID-19 crisis just around the corner. But what you are really want to hear is all about her decades of experience and how that's translated into competitive advantages that she's putting in place, best practices at Uve to not only succeed in this pandemic, but come out the other side as a much stronger, more profitable business. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a great one. So stay tuned and thanks again for listening. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences, and during this crazy pandemic, deal with all the challenges of COVID-19. Super excited. Today, I have Lindsay Anderson, and she is a level three sommelier and also the owner of Uve, which is um, a kitchen and wine bar in Chicagoland. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. How are you today.
0: Good. Thank you so much for having me, Roger.
1: Well, you're an exciting guest on many levels because one, you're an operator in the trenches, much like our audience, much like myself, and you're dealing with all the crazy in and outs of COVID, but You have a very unique concept, and before we get into the COVID challenges and what Uve is all about, I love to ask backstories, and I know yours is particularly interesting. You got started in this business at an early age. You had some family influences. Why don't you tell us what's relevant about how you found hospitality, a passion for that, a passion for wine, how you opened this restaurant, but you're also a consultant. You've also opened multiple concepts. You've been an investor in businesses. I don't want to tell your story.
0: You take it away. Um, Well, I was introduced to the hospitality industry at a very, very young age. My grandmother, um, when I was about from the ages of eight to 10, owned a catering and banquet facility in Colorado where I grew up. So I was exposed super early. She let us help with uh, big holiday brunches like Easter and Mother's Day and that sort of thing. We got to as children maintain the buffet. So I guess, you know, that attention to detail and importance of beautiful food was instilled with me very, very young. In high school, I started, I suppose you would call it hospitality career in the ice cream industry. I worked the counter at a local ice cream shop before moving on to Baskin Robbins, the chain where I learned how to decorate cakes. Um, so I worked there in high school through college. Um, Once I went to college, I started waiting tables at some of the big box chains, Applebee's and TGI Fridays. Um, And that's just kind of where I found my love for customer service and elevated experiences. I moved into fine dining at a a pretty large tapas restaurant in downtown Naperville that did a lot of banquets also. So I really got to experience that aspect of the business, weddings and private events and that sort of thing. Um, And that just kind of drove my love for the restaurant industry as a whole, and I always wanted to kind of experience the whole industry, not just front of house. So I, they let me work in the kitchen one summer, and that kind of made me realize, hey, I don't, I don't want to be back a house because I was thinking about maybe going to culinary school. I'd prefer to be front of house. Um, so I transferred from Northern Illinois University to Kendall College here in Chicago, and that's where I got my undergraduate in hospitality management.
1: Wow. So that is a very well-rounded background. And it's clear that you've stayed true to that hospitality passion. And you've touched a little bit of just about every part of this business. Now, when did you get your inspiration to open Uve? Because I know, did it open in 2019, like just before COVID?
0: Mm-hmm. July and, 2019.
1: Oh, that's so funny because, okay, so I've started several restaurants from scratch that go back two decades, and I sold them all, and then I didn't own restaurants for a couple of years, and then July of 2019, I as well bought another restaurant, so you and I are in that very same boat, that is, oh, that's a riot, that's great. So take us to starting that restaurant. And, you know, no one could have the crystal ball and anticipate what was going to come. You had a clear vision for a wine bar and a kitchen that offered a very unique menu. So let's talk about the differences between your typical wine bar, your typical restaurant, and what Uve is all about. Because I really like the you know, the unique um, innovative approach that you have to introducing people to wine, how pairing is such an important part of a dining experience, great wines that accentuate great foods, and how the two work together. You know, you clearly have the knowledge to do this, but take us on your challenges or your journey to open that restaurant.
0: Um, well, there's a lot I can say about all of that. Um, Prior to opening Uve, I was the managing partner for a small restaurant group here in Chicago. And running three restaurants was kind of what I thought was always going to be my dream and goal. But after about seven years of that position, I realized I was really losing the true hospitality aspect of it because I was managing you know, hundreds of employees, three different restaurants. I no longer knew my clientele. I didn't even really know my employees. And that wasn't what my passion was. My passion is hospitality. So I wanted to open my own location that was small in a great community. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Andersonville neighborhood in Chicago, but the best. Uh, The best way I can describe it is it's very much like a small town in the big city where everybody knows each other. It's very small business oriented. So the small business owners all know each other and help each other. We have a huge regular customer base, which has definitely had uh, a significant impact on our success throughout the COVID situation. But just, you know, to be able to have a small local place that people can go and feel comfortable and it's warm and inviting was very, very important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the menu and the wine list goes, I um, am an instructor for the level one Somali certification course at Kendall College. Uh, That's where I got my certification. So education is a really strong part of my background. And I think that wine is an amazing Tool as far as enhancing the experience, but I think that there's, um, you know, not a lot of people know the basics of wine. So I kind of use my educational background when I'm designing my wine list. I want to offer varietals that people know and understand Sauvignon Blanc, but I want to show them the difference between a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand versus a Sauvignon Blanc from Sancerre France and give them the opportunity to try and sample different things, which is why we have the three ounce pours. Um, also, I think food and wine pairing is super, super important. So if you can switch it up with every course, it's just going to make your meal greater and better. Um, so that's kind of the inspiration behind the restaurant itself and the menu and the wine list.
1: That is so interesting because I am far from a knowledgeable wine w- file if that's the word, right? <laughs> so I love wine and I love a wide variety of wine, but I couldn't teach anyone really about the nuances other than the basic varietals, Sure, the Cabernet and the Merlot and, you know, Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay and all those basics that everyone has heard of. I mean, if you go back, I was in graduate school and I used to drink white Zinfandel for whatever reason, you know, but this was probably back when people drank wine coolers and that's just tipping the edge of the huge world of wine you know and then i had a chance to live in italy and then i became really passionate about sangiovese and different you know i I lived in the chianti region for a while and i got really into italian wines but then later in life i got introduced to riojas and tempranillos and spanish wines and i really liked those but again it's like i couldn't begin to teach i mean there's so much to this i mean how do you get to be a sommelier And then how do you rise through to become a level three sommelier? And then obviously you have the passion to to introduce people to fine wines now because your, your wine knowledge is so extensive. So how do you take someone like me or the average restaurant customer who might be someone like me or even less knowledgeable than someone like me and then suddenly introduce them to something and they get it? Because... Even the difference between oaked white wines versus those in stainless, you know, that are fermented in stainless steel and and all the nuances of every different kind of wine. I mean, you know where I'm going with this and I don't mean to belabor the point, but could you please give us an idea of what it takes and how much knowledge out there do you really need to become a sommelier?
0: Well, first and foremost, that's why I love the world of wine because the education is limitless. Like you can never know everything and you can never know too little or too much. So, you know, the world of wine is really about experience and interaction with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, My assistant sommelier, Aaron, is an expert on Italy and I lean on him tremendously because Italy is my biggest challenge as far as the wine world. Um, But how did I get into wine? My very first fine dining serving job at Maison Sabica in downtown Naperville really introduced me to the world of Spanish wine. And it was so fascinating and interesting, the different aging and the different grapes that I had never heard of at 23. You know, Mm -hmm, mm we probably drank white Zinfandel or Zima or whatever back then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, You remember. So it was just, that really brought me into the world of wine. And then it was just really a natural progression with my career, the, my first GM job that I ever had out of college was at a wine bar. And I thought I knew lots and lots about wine, but I was also in my mid-20s. So I think when you're in your mid-20s, you're pretty confident about a lot of things. But as I progressed in my career, I realized I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And um, Kendall College started the sommelier certification program. And it was just natural for me because I went to school there that I wanted to sign up.
1: That makes sense. Um,
0: I am more of I'm an immersion learner. So, Court of Masters, where you study on your own or you study in small groups and then you just take the exam, was not really an option for me. Uh, Kendall's classes were five hours once a week and you're with the same group the whole time. And my instructor was super, super passionate, which kind of fueled my passion even more. Um, so, I just ended up going through all three levels. And then after I had completed level three, they asked me to stay on and teach. Uh, because I was someone that had been in the industry for so long, and I really enjoy teaching because it's amazing the people that you get to meet, um, people that have traveled to different places all over the world that can teach me things and I can teach them things. It just—it's a really endless world of opportunity to learn, and that's—I—I that I really enjoy.
1: I'm guessing you've had a lot of opportunity well both as an instructor now and when you were actually going through the course yourself. I mean you obviously are introduced to a wide variety of wines and you're learning the nuances of varietals and how the grapes are grown and you know the different terroirs they call it, you know, in different countries and and the different climates and how that impacts the grapes. I mean again, this is all background knowledge that you can impart to a guest in a restaurant that just enhances the whole experience. But you know, proper tasting I always remember one of the things I enjoyed most about owning restaurants because I had different wine lists in different restaurants. I'd always meet with my wine reps and we'd sit down and we'd taste new wines all the time. And that used to be a real great break from the day of running a restaurant. And they'd you know they'd bring out the spit bucket, you know, and you'd sip a little and then you'd dump the rest in. And it's like, I never wanted to do that. I just wanted to enjoy each, each tasting and not constantly. So, of course, I don't know. Was that part of the... Curriculum. I mean, do you taste more than you dump, or do you spit more than you drink? I mean, uh,
0: it depends on the group, I think. Uh, yeah, you know, one of the things that we did to. Um, manage our business during the three-month shutdown as we started doing virtual tastings, which was easy for me to kind of move into being an instructor. And we were very, very fortunate that we created a huge following for these virtual tastings. And we have taught, you know, our customers and the general public in different neighborhoods, you know, something different than a regular wine tasting, because we are using that educational-based process of all right, this is the proper procedure to taste. Understanding the different different grape varietals from different regions, the different terroirs, the difference between the laws in Italy and the laws in France and the laws in the United States. So it's been it's been really great to continue not only my own personal education but create this great community group virtually.
1: Can you tell us how that worked? Um, because to have a virtual tasting, that means that your audience needs to have the wines in front of them regardless of where they are. So are they, per- did you work it out so that they would literally purchase these wines in advance and on a weekly basis? Maybe, I mean, you tell us how it worked, but that's how I'm getting it without knowing anything about how you did it.
0: So we started it during the shutdown and we've continued through the summer and now mm-hmm. that we're getting into the colder months we're still doing them Uh, we do them twice a week it's a pre-sign up so we know how much to purchase and then we uh purchase little four ounce plastic bottles that keep the wine fresh we don't open the wine till the day of the event and then we you know fill up all the little bottles with four ounce tastings put them in a tamper-proof sealed bag for the Chicago uh um cocktail law and we deliver they can come pick them up and then we all jump on a zoom at the scheduled time and we have a powerpoint presentation and either myself or aaron my assistant sommelier leads the leads the tasting um once we got into summertime and it was again super busy at the restaurant which we're very thankful for uh one of my former students who was in my level one class and went through level two with aaron uh, he recently retired and he's been helping us out by hosting. So it's been really nice to like connect with all these people virtually.
1: Well, Lindsay, I think that's tremendous. You know, as operators, I'm a huge advocate and any operator really needs to have as many profit centers as possible in a restaurant. But it's also about building what I call affinity with the customer, which clearly you're doing, which gives them multiple reasons to appreciate your offering and to have a powerful sense of belonging to your restaurant or to uve so i i just think that's terrific it's a very innovative idea and i think other operators now that we've, we've just heard how you've done it can sort of duplicate the idea so i really appreciate you sharing that that's that's wonderful
0: yeah of course now you,
1: you, much like me, when COVID hit, I mean, you had to wear all the hats. I understand you jumped in as the chef in the kitchen. You were doing your own deliveries of, of wine and, and the dinners and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you're wearing all the hats because this, of course, is the business of a thousand details. And, you know, tell us about the other challenges that you ran into and if you had to furlough staff and if you, you know, need to scramble to get government relief funds and how the whole thing has sort of changed and if you pivoted that business well we already heard one pivot with the you know the virtual wine tastings were there other pivots like tell us about the journey this has been now a 7 month pandemic and you're still in the trenches fighting the fight like like we all are what's happening now versus what happened then and what's happened along the way to uve
0: Absolutely. Um, so back in March, when we did get the shutdown order, which in Chicago happened literally within hours on a Sunday morning, they said we could be at 50% capacity. And then by the afternoon, they said, no, you're closed for good. And obviously, we were only seven months old at that point in time. So it was just kind of like Very, very stressful as it was for everybody. What are we going to do now? Um, Our menu was not really designed for takeout or to-go. We had never done any of the third-party delivery services or anything like that in the past. We were, you know, a very hands-on business where we wanted people to come in and enjoy our food because of that wine pairing aspect. Of course. Um, So I I did try to pivot to to to-go food and, you know... And from my perspective as a small business owner, all you can do at that point is manage your costs as much as possible. So while my staff was furloughed and they all did go on unemployment, I was like, OK, well, I will stay and I will cook and try to make money. Uh, but after after three days, it was like, OK, this is very depressing and sad to sit here and wait for, you know, two or three orders to come in every night. So I made the decision to close the restaurant and we closed for about a week. And then because owning a restaurant, you kind of have to be a workaholic. Um, you know, it was like, I can't just sit here for the next three months and wait for this thing to end. So that's when we pivoted into the virtual tastings. And in order to control costs and still give my employees a little bit of hours, we decided to do our wine pair dinners only on Saturdays. So that mm-hmm. way I could have a couple mm-hmm. line cooks come in, a couple delivery drivers. We did utilize our own staff as delivery drivers so they could make some money Uh, So we did Saturday night, once a week, wine dinners, same kind of concept four courses, you got four, five ounce pairings, we made it super affordable for people. So it was a wine dinner for two for $75. We found great success in that. And then when we finally got to reopen in June, we were able to put up a really nice patio uh, with the city of Chicago allowing us to extend we had about 18 tables outside and that proved to be very successful and we had already built that virtual following of people in the neighborhood that came to every single weekly tasting that lived around the block. And they, you know, again, being in a great community has been really, really important mm-hmm. to surviving mm-hmm. this. Yes. So because we had built relationships with all of these people, they knew us and they knew the employees and they knew me and they just wanted to support us. So we had a great summer. It was really, really busy. Um, You know, we're entering back into that challenging time where the city of Chicago has shut down indoor dining, Um, something that we did earlier in the fall to kind of try to help the cold weather is we have mini greenhouses outside that are heated with camping tent heaters, and they're actually fairly enjoyable. I mean, you're still sitting outside, but it's not freezing cold, and they're cute, and they're private, and they're safe. They're like awesome. little
1: cabanas outside.
0: <laughs> they are like That's little cabanas. That's awesome. Um, awesome. So tonight is our last night of indoor dining service. Um, mm-hmm. Last night after the order was issued, we did just like the, sun, the last Sunday in March, we saw a lot of regulars come out just to kind of get their one last dining experience in before we close. Um, so, you know, we're going to continue doing virtuals. We're going to once again try to do to-go food we'll probably limit our hours next week to cutting off Wednesday and Sundays just to, again, push all, drive all that traffic to days that we can control our costs. Um, But the virtual tastings, because we have done them for so long, are proving to be quite a hit. And now we have a bunch of bunch of private corporate tastings booked. I did a breast cancer awareness event for a women's group last night for Capital One where we featured all women winemakers. Um, So yeah, we're just going to move back into that virtual life and hope for the best.
1: So what you just said triggered a marketing thought because you obviously, as an operator, have to put on your marketing hat and your finance hat and your staff training hat and your wine hat and your chef hat, I mean, you've done all of these things. When you first opened your restaurant, you mentioned this is specific to a very loyal neighborhood that has been the lifeblood of your business. And Chicago, of course, has 10 million restaurants in it. It's a hugely competitive restaurant town, of course, and you could find any kind of food under the sun pretty much everywhere. Did you realize that um, you were only going to market to that neighborhood? Did you try to branch out into other parts of the city at all to make any kind of a splash? I mean, you obviously work with PR people and you've got a marketing team and all that sort of thing. But back then versus now, do you, what is your marketing philosophy and what makes the most sense for you in terms of marketing your business?
0: Well, I had had experience with restaurants in this neighborhood prior to opening Uve, which is, and I had looked for a space for Uve for almost two years in the suburbs and all over the city. And with my experience with my past company, we opened a restaurant up here in 2017, which is when I really got to know the community and the Chamber of Commerce. And I just really enjoyed that small town feel. And that's exactly what I was looking for, is to provide this level of hospitality that people are not gonna get at a big chain restaurant or you know one of the bigger restaurants in River North or downtown or that sort of thing. So really that sense of place or sense of community, the terroir was very, very important to me and Andersonville fit perfectly. Um, so at the beginning, I, I'm also a perfectionist. So when we first opened the restaurant last summer, we did not have a patio because I didn't want to have too many tables and not be able to handle it with amazing food and wonderful service. We started very small. Mm -hmm. We very quietly opened. Um, We didn't do any marketing the first, first summer just because I wanted to make sure that everything was perfect and people were getting the experience they wanted. And I think we do know in the restaurant industry, word of mouth is everything. So if people have a bad experience the first month that you're open, that's going to impact the success of your company forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we opened very slowly and just worked on building those relationships. Um, I do have a PR team that I hired right before COVID. So right after uh, Valentine's Day and beginning of March and they've done a great job. And you know, with these virtual events, that has actually given us the opportunity to expand to different neighborhoods in the city. Uh, We have a neighbor who comes to every virtual event and she has girlfriends that live in the West Loop and the South Loop, and now we have this huge following and they all travel up here to have dinner at the restaurant during the summer because they did get to know us virtually. And I think that lends to the word of mouth as well. We get a lot of our corporate events, word of mouth, from someone that's come to a tasting and now they want to involve it in their company. It's going to be a whole world of virtual holiday parties this <laughs> December. So, you know, I, as far as marketing goes, I'm really a very devoted to the grassroots aspect, creating an amazing experience, and then that person's going to tell their friend, oh, you have to go there. Um, I think the power of being a hands-on owner is a huge marketing tool because people mm-hmm. actually know me and they associate a human being with the business and they want to support that.
1: Absolutely. Let's, let's move on to, you have a passion also and we, we disc- we discovered this earlier in the recording when you were talking about service and you, you have a high belief in exemplary service. And that is so in line with the concept that you're delivering. But it all started when you mentioned some of those chains like Applebee's and TGI Fridays and all that kind of stuff. And I know that those companies have extensive training programs for service training. So it started there and you obviously gleaned a lot of the nuances of best practices with those chains. But has it evolved and, and taken itself to a different level with your own restaurant Do you use some of those basics as a foundation? And then you've created your own training. Tell us about how you train your staff.
0: Well, my Applebee's and TGI Friday's careers were almost a quarter of a a century ago. So I think the basic, you know, they do have really extensive training programs and going through that and being so loving of the hospitality industry. That was a great foundation for me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, My education at Kendall College also assists in training aspects. But when we speak specifically to Uwe, I think the wine aspect is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super important for my employees to not be intimidating to the guests, because I think some of us that have been to finer dining may have experienced you know, a sommelier that may push you towards a really expensive bottle of wine or be kind of put off by you not having wine knowledge and that's not the field that I want my staff to give. So again, we want to be a very comfortable, inviting environment. Mm-hmm. So we, our philosophy is you like what you like, but let us talk about what you like and maybe we can help you expand your wine knowledge or expand your taste and try something different. Um, but it is really all about that experience and making the guests comfortable.
1: Sure. Okay, that's that makes perfect sense, making it approachable for the guest regardless of their knowledge and experience with wine whether they're brand new beginners or, you know, they read wine spectator every month and they (laughs) devour it cover to cover. That's awesome. Tremendous. Let's talk about the financial aspect of things because things are so much tougher now, like things are tough running a restaurant before COVID-19. And then suddenly have all these restrictions about indoor seating and, you know, businesses have plunged 50 to 75% in terms of what it was pre COVID. And now, you know, you just got to dial things in and you have to have systems in place. You have to understand what your daily break even is. You have to take inventory and know what your costs are and all these things that so many restaurants in my experience just didn't have the time for pre COVID. And now it's more important than ever. Are you really hands on with your financials? Do you have a office manager that does that for you? I mean, tell us about that.
0: Um, I have an outside uh, financial company that I use for payroll and they do a weekly P&L for me based on, mm-hmm. Purchases and bank reconciliations and that that sort of thing. Um, I think with my education uh, in hospitality management, I've always been a huge, huge proponent of understanding your financials and understanding your costs because if you don't pay attention, then you don't know when something is wrong and you don't know what areas you can cut. As Absolutely. a small business owner that's capable of wearing all the hats, um, you know, in this day and age, right now, it's we got to do what we got to do. So. Cutting labor is the easiest way to save money, so if I have to cook on a Sunday night because we know we're only going to have three or four tables, I am absolutely willing to do that, but um, I think controlling labor is the biggest way to ensure that your business is successful, um, so I just am really, really on top of that at all times.
1: That's excellent, and you must have key people, though, that you have to you know, maintain because They've been with you a while. You have loyalty to those people. So in some cases, it's a real balance between making sure they get the hours they need and cutting your labor so that you're still running tight costs. I mean, that's it's a real challenge for a lot of operators.
0: I'm very fortunate that... Uh the staff that I work with, I have worked with for some of them up to ten years at different restaurants. Yes, so we all awesome. work very well together. I do have two key employees that one of, is a manager and Aaron's my assistant sommelier and mm-hmm. cheesemonger, and Aaron is able to supplement his income by hosting the virtual tastings. Whereas the servers, you know, we all understand how unprecedented this time is and that it's difficult for everybody and my staff cares about the business because I care about that working for a small business you know you do build relationships with your staff and they are important and they understand how important they are to me so we've worked really really well with working on a rotation of okay we all understand that hours are getting cut I'll take these two days you take these two days same thing with the kitchen staff you know we just rotate as best we can to make it fair for everyone
1: Excellent. that's the answer I would expect you to give. Thank
0: you. Also you know we <laughs> as we are all being innovative hmm. innovative part of me, um, they are also really willing to take on any role that they can to make additional money. So with these corporate tastings yesterday, three of my servers were the delivery drivers and they split up the city of Chicago and they made 30 different deliveries. And,
1: wow you know, awesome. making
0: hourly and tips from that so everybody's kind of willing to jump outside the box during these times.
1: Fantastic. That's beautiful. Now, you also give back to the local community. Do you want to tell us about your work with the local shelter?
0: Absolutely. I think it's really important to be part of your community. Um, Most recently, I've supported Meals on Wheels. We are doing a holiday uh, virtual tasting for them, and then we did a virtual tasting for them this summer where I'm donating 100% of the profits. Um, I've always worked with the night night ministry, um, donating food and you know, doing any kind of fundraising that we can to help the community is super important.
1: All right. What about giving us your best advice to Say an operator that's really struggling right now with COVID. I mean, what can you tell them based on your own experiences and just to give them a little bit of encouragement? Because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just don't know when it is, but it's like we are resourceful, we're resilient, we're passionate about what we do. But a lot of restaurants are really struggling out there, and it really helps sometimes to understand that other people are going through the exact same thing you're going through. And we're all, you know, doing the best we can with the circumstances that we cannot control. But what would you tell them?
0: Um, I think it's important during these really just strange, bizarre times to build your community of networking within restaurant owners. Again, I'm fortunate to be in Andersonville where I'm great friends with all of the owners of the restaurants. So just bouncing ideas off each other. And you do have to think outside the box. We can't just think about the food and beverage in this industry anymore. What other skills do you have? Um, My neighbor across the street, they are great friends of ours. And You know, they do a lot of to go business where I don't, but they, we help each other. So we send people to them, they send people to us, but really you just, you have to think outside the box. Things are so different these days that you can't just rely on, on food sales. You need to look at um, you know, return on investment. If you're not for me, for example, it's not worth it for me to do a third party delivery service because they're going to take 30% and I don't do that much business. Mm -hmm, So I mm -hmm. keep it all in house. Absolutely. Um, You know, staying relevant in your community, making sure your brand is still out there, even if you're not open has been something that's proven very successful to me. Maintaining your social media, engaging with people on social media, updating your website, making sure that You know, all platforms are updated, which I've seen a lot of restaurants, which it is time consuming, but it is important. A lot of restaurants are failing to update their Yelp pages or their Google pages with their correct hours. So people don't know Mm -hmm. when they're open, if they're open. And, you know, you just have to keep adapting and keep relevant.
1: I think you hit it right there, the communication with your customer, keeping them informed. Because I think from what we've seen, customers are understanding that these businesses are struggling and that they're really doing everything they can just to stay operating and to give those excellent experiences on the same level that they did prior to COVID. But you really have to you know, put every effort toward Keeping that communication open with the consumer, thanking them for their business, asking them for feedback, asking for positive reviews if they had a great experience. I mean, all these things are sort of part and parcel of what we do right now. It's been. It's been a pleasure having you, Lindsay, on the podcast. We learned so much. I think you've been tremendously successful in your career. And I can only see that you're, you know, you're going to keep this thing going. Do you have any plans to expand in the future once the COVID thing is gone? Um, What do you think about that? Everybody
0: always asks me that. And I have to be 100% honest. Like, as far as my career goes, I have have reached my dream. You know, I Mm -hmm. have a great staff. I have a great customer base and I thoroughly enjoy coming to work every day and interacting with both. I don't I don't want a second restaurant because then I'll lose that aspect. And I've already experienced that, you know, being a managing partner and an investor in a group that had multiple restaurants just it wasn't for me. So I'm I'm super happy to get to work in the kitchen once in a while but still be on the floor and you know, pick the wine list and help my staff grow as far as their wine knowledge and just have these relationships with my guests is very, very important to
1: me. That's wonderful. Everyone should feel that way. Be fulfilled in what they're doing and be satisfied and happy and working hard. But it's not work if we really love what we're doing. And it sounds like you're, you're just so happy doing what you're doing. And you face each day as it comes and you make the most of each day and you get a positive outlook. And you've been a tremendous inspiration to our audience, Lindsay. So thank you for joining us on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Roger. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, everybody. Thanks again for listening. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. That's a wrap. Guys, I was so inspired listening to Lindsay, and I'm hoping that you were as well. It's absolutely incredible, the passion, the resilience, and digging deep, and the whatever it takes attitude that we're exhibiting during this crazy pandemic. Nobody knows when it's going to end, but we could all take a lesson from some of these best practices and some of these innovative ideas that we learned in today's episode. It's all about systems. We talked about finance. We talked about staff training. We talked about innovation and creative ideas to drive the business forward. If any of you are looking for any new inspiration, new hope, new help in the challenges that you're experiencing, I'd love to talk to you. I, again, love speaking with operators one-on-one and talking shop, and I do uh, take on a limited number of clients each quarter. And if there's something I can help you with, no obligation, just reach out to me, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at Restaurant rockstars.com. Dot com. I'll at least give you some free advice, and if you want to go further, we can certainly explore that. So again, roger at restaurantrockstars.com. Also, use that email address if you have any topics or ideas that you'd like to see in an upcoming episode of the podcast. I'll be sure to look into that for you. So please leave us a review on iTunes, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks again for listening.